Hi. Hi. We're here. 2021. We're back. It's a new year. It's a new it is a new year. <laughs> it's literally a new year. <laughs> After 2020 though. Oh gosh. I know. Where do I we know, begin? literally. <laughs> Indeed. So how's your 2021 going? I, what I mean, it's it's literally the same as 2020 right now. So not much to report. <laughs> What I will say, though, I have enjoyed um, some of the slightly warmer weather. So it has made that little daily walk or the longer weekend walk a bit more pleasant. So that is nice. I actually live near Hampstead Heath and it's like Glastonbury there at the moment, which isn't ideal. So you have to really pick a random route to avoid the masses. But uh, that is nice. It is nice to be outside. How about mm, you, though? That How are nice. you feeling? I'm, I'm OK now. Definitely was not okay a few weeks ago, not going to lie. Having COVID was not the one. Having COVID over Christmas was like a double whammy of awful times, awful bad times. Um, Super weird though, because yeah, it was a really weird situation for me. I did not have the normal symptoms that, you know, they say that you would normally have if you have COVID. And that kind of meant that I got tested late. And so I actually had COVID for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, it was really weird for me. I had a sinus infection first, which I hadn't heard of before. No, you know, I hadn't heard anyone to, that had said that those kind of fluey head colds yeah. were part less, of it. Less cough and more like nose based, which I definitely haven't heard about. And it, yeah. So now every time that um, I know someone who's like even a bit ill or, or me, I'm like, you should get tested because it could be COVID because listen to this. Um, but yeah, well, exactly. I'm actually feeling better. I mean, I, I can't yeah, believe we're nearly now. a year on. And it's wild that, you know, nearly a year on, a few months, like a few weeks ago, you had COVID. We're still having to do tests. We're still in lockdown. Um, I don't think we ever thought it would last this long, to be honest. No, I didn't, def- naively, probably. Didn't. We <laughs> definitely did not, no. And that is why we wanted to focus this episode on COVID, on the NHS, and especially focus it in on those who work on the NHS front line, but those who you might not think are on the front line. Um, and we've got two fantastic ladies that we're speaking to um, who are friends of Katie, and they've joined us for to do a little interview about how they've found working in COVID, um, what kind of the struggles they found, interesting things they've learned and seen. And yeah, we're going to have a really insightful discussion with them. Um, and actually, we had such a good discussion that we have decided to split the episode into two. Um, we wanted to bring you the full discussion that we had. We wanted to get as much out of it as possible. So we will have one episode today and tomorrow we will bring you episode two. Uh, but today we're starting with Meg, who we're going to hear from right now. So we're here today with Meg. Hi, Meg. Hello. You're right. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this and taking some time out. So basically, we wanted to just talk about your experience with COVID today and essentially what your role is, what you do, who you are and why you have been working on the front line and how you've ended up there. So just to kick us off, tell us about what you do, what your job is, like what your normal day to day life at work is and then how that has led to you being on the front line. Yeah, fine. So I am a speech and language therapist. Um, 
And so we manage, well, we assess and manage communication and swallowing problems. Um, so in terms of communication, it could be anything really, anything to do with communication. It could be understanding of language, your use of language, your speech, your voice, and kind of social and pragmatic use of language as well. And swallowing is kind of a part of our role that no one really knows about. Um, and I think partly that's because of our name. We're called speech and language therapists. You would not expect it to be part of our name. Yeah, um, not going to lie. Is... When I think that, I always think people helping with like a stutter or like children. Yeah. Which I think that is a part of it, isn't it? In a different yeah, area. Yeah, and that's, that's like some people's whole jobs. But um, for me, because I work in a big acute hospital with loads and loads of beds, primarily my job is to do with swallowing so assessing and managing swallowing problems and basically you're just trying to make eating and drinking safe really um, and if it's not you think what can you do about it and things like that um, so my typical role I'm half I work in stroke so I work with stroke patients people have just had a stroke um, on the wards and the other half of my role is in something called general medicine which is basically any kind of medical conditions, but includes respiratory conditions. Um, and that's kind of where COVID comes in, really, because it's a respiratory condition. Um, so how I've been involved with COVID is assessing and managing swallowing problems in people who've got COVID or have had COVID and um, assessing and managing voice problems as well. Because some people, if they've been intubated can have swallow uh, voice problems so in, so, just yeah. um, incubates when you've gone on a ventilator is that right yeah yeah so you've got a massive tube like right down your throat um so it obviously it's not meant to be there so it holds your vocal folds like wide open so it can make them very sore and sometimes they don't work as well after they won't move as properly um so yeah and just quickly on that the other thing I was going to say is so because I always find it really interesting why a doctor doesn't do that but it's actually mm. so is it that they're just not trained in that specialism which is why it is with the speech and language therapist or is it that you're kind of helping out because of resourcing like what yeah I think that's so it's like any therapy really so it's like physiotherapy occupational therapy mm. every therapy has got their um their speciality and doctors can't do any everything do you know what I mean other people have got to be involved and we're a team so we all work together really closely and doctors have got like a very vague kind of understanding and they'll often kind of lead on any kind of complex feeding decisions like if someone's for a tube or if they're not um, and things like that that's kind of their job but we will contribute to that but yeah it's like any therapy everyone's got their speciality and that's our speciality you know we're trained in it and the reason it's kind of come about is because being communication experts, we're experts in the voice, we're experts in everything here. And that's where swallowing happens as well. So that's how it's kind of come about. But yeah, if anyone needs a swallow assessment in the hospital or anywhere, it'll come to us. Um, that's our role. But yeah, no one knows about it. It's because we're called speech language therapists. So yeah. we should change our name, really. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. it's mm. so interesting and how how have you found it like working working on the front line in in that way what you know what have you seen and what yeah how have you found actually kind of dealing with it day to day um it's been hard um not gonna lie like at the start it was quite hard because it was just the unknown I think um 
you know, I really knew what was going to happen. And also, like, you'd heard about it in China, you know, you'd seen all these weird videos and pictures of people, like, fish bowls on their head and all sorts. And, like, you heard how many people had died and stuff. And then suddenly it was here. But you kind of, in my head, I was like, it's not going to really happen. Like, um, and then it just kind of happened, didn't it? And it happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think no one was really prepared like our hospital was quite like I'd made some preparations but we weren't prepared for how quickly I think it was going to happen and the volume of patients so that was quite scary at the start really. I probably say I was quite like very anxious at the start and like I didn't I really like did not want to go to work ever mm. um yeah and I was quite worried and like it's weird because everyone's at home like staying safe from like this horrible thing that's so awful you have to stay at home so you don't get it it's killing all these people it's terrible and then you just go to work and you see all these patients with it and like it's fine because it's our job and it's what we need to do and they need our help but it is weird and you're like oh god like here I am they're coughing like near me obviously I've got all the PPE on I'm fine but it is weird to think like you know no one can leave the house because of this thing but then we're here like you know seeing them every day and things it's weird that's that's the thing isn't it because all we talk about is oh working from home is here forever and this is and everyone's working from home and actually I think it's only about one third of the workforce that has actually been from home and then as, as you're saying it's it's the detachment of you're watching something on tv but then you're actually seeing it in real life and not many people are really seeing it Mm, mm, mm. to be honest I stopped watching the news like I just couldn't like I didn't want to hear the updates because like there was one point where we having like on stroke we're having these meetings every day to give us updates from like very high above about what was happening it was just really kind of anxiety provoking to be honest to hear about like the numbers and things I just kind of wanted to hide away from it really and just kind of get on every day and just do what I needed to do and just come home and try and forget about it really yeah and did you do you think that kind of I guess where you were saying about obviously I think we all kind of felt the same way in fact you know we saw it in China happening we didn't really Mm. think it would come to us like it was kind of like this far off thing that Mm. never happened Mm. you think that like the response that you saw you know was it quite quick you obviously had to go to work quite quickly and just to take it day by day and I get like was the response good in your mind you feel like everyone just did what they could yeah I do um I feel like the whole just wash your hands thing we should have like as like the government should have done more like quickly seeing it in other places I think they should have done a lot more a lot quicker um kind of from a work perspective I do think the response was good it was pretty quick um and it felt really well organized actually as well like we never had any issues finding PPE it was always available um, I know like some of my colleagues have had arguments in their hospitals because some people don't view swallow assessments as aerosol generating procedures and that's basically just means like anything that makes you cough a lot or bring aerosol up from your lungs and in swallow assessments we make people cough we have to as part of it um, so it's classed as aerosol generated but not every place classes it so you wouldn't get the proper fit masks but we so don't have that fit, issue. What's a fit mask? So it's like the proper tight mask that goes around your face. That That's kind of the one doesn't, that doesn't mask on your face. Yeah, 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 that doesn't kind of let anything in. Um, so we, you know, that was accepted where I work. Um, so that wasn't an issue. PPU was available. I think it was pretty well organised. 
um you know wards were made into ITUs that wouldn't normally be um yeah our hospital was really well organized but I think part of that was is because we learned from other places where maybe it, it um, spread a bit quicker initially, so we could kind of learn from that. We weren't kind of the first hotspot in the UK. Yeah, and I think that's key, that sharing of best practice. And But yeah. that's why the NHS is so great, because you've got those connections and you can mm. do that. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, when you mentioned the fact that, you know, you sometimes you just wanted to kind of come home and like almost like try and forget about it, do you... Do you feel like you've been able to process things as you're going or do you think when things have calmed down that's when it might you might think about it more I don't know yeah I just wondered how because do you think you've been able to come home and like decompress or do you think it's almost autopilot and just running from day to day and just trying to get through it Mm, I don't think I did initially to be honest I just kind of like hid away from it which obviously isn't a great way to deal with things but at the same time I didn't really know what else to do um but since then I do feel like I have like um I've kind of been like using new kind of coping mechanisms you know what I mean like it sounds silly but I started doing couch to 5k and like one of the reasons I actually started that was because I was like I want to keep my lungs healthy you know what I mean yeah so I started yeah. doing that and like I really enjoyed that and I started exercising more to stay more healthy I did like gardening <laughs> not very well as you saw um, <laughs> I did like you know like crafts <laughs> activities as well and just trying to make sure I stayed in contact with like friends and family I think that really helps yeah. um so I do feel like I have kind of now but it's interesting because you know like when you sent the, the questions over I had to really think about you know what was the biggest challenge because I couldn't really like remember and I don't know if I have fully processed it I'm not really sure and that does make and and okay okay, I'm not psychologist like Mm. this is complete speculation but it makes me think that maybe you know you have gone into that kind of protect yourself and yeah certain things it is almost that it's too much for the brain right now so we just Mm. kind of block things out until there is time yeah Um, yeah but I was gonna say so on that I don't know Mm. do you think you know about like what biggest challenges are anything that's particularly surprised you whether that's kind of like Tanisha said like more generally in the wider like whether that's the government the public or you know within the hospital yeah I think from a personal perspective the biggest challenge has been like not seeing like family and that's been really hard for me because I had a nephew born like last Feb um and like to be honest I've barely seen him I don't think he really knows who I am like he kind of does and he smiles at me but I think he's also just really friendly so (laughs) I don't think he knows who I am um I like not spending time with my niece as well. That's really hard. And as yeah, well, because like yeah. my family have been in like a childcare bubble. And then obviously when one of my sisters has come home, she lives with mom and dad, which is at home. So they're all in a bubble together. And then there's me. Oh, yeah. And then it's just really like, it's just hard. But I think that's probably the hard thing from a personal perspective. Um, from a work perspective, the biggest challenge was the unknown. I'm not really know what was going to happen how long it would be as well there was talk of us being redeployed at first which was really scary but actually we were needed in the end because so many people had kind of swallow problems and voice problems from covid um but that was scary but i think just, as well oh, oh go on carry on no no I was carry just on say, the fact that like you're trying to talk to your patients 
and you're trying to like make them feel better so they feel really unwell they're in hospital their family can't come in their friends can't come in it's a shit time and like you're going to see them and you want to like cheer them up make them feel better but like they can't see you <laughs> they can't see you smile yeah. um they can see your eyes but like they can't see that you're smiling and that's really hard um obviously there's other things you can do you know like hold their hands and things and try and smile with your eyes but it's not the same were you kind of <laughs> expecting from where you've worked with stroke patients and people were you expecting that when the tubes would go in that there might be problems yeah like, how yeah, because I've um in GEMED, I've seen loads of patients. Obviously, like people are intubated for many different reasons. So, not just COVID. Like you might need to be for loads of different reasons. Like you might have a really bad pneumonia. You know, you need to be intubated or with um, what am I trying to think of? Into the T TB. You know, you might be really unwell anyway. You might need to be intubated. And so we often see patients have got voice problems after that and they might have mild swallow problems after that. So just like things feel caught because basically it's just going to be a bit sore down there, a bit swollen. So it's just going to be, everything's going to feel a bit tight and a bit sore. Um, so that's something I expected. Um, and it wasn't really anything out of the blue, really, because we see people with respiratory problems and therefore then have swallow problems after that. And we see people when they're really unwell because of the nature of what we do. We see people, unfortunately, when they're approaching the end of their life and support with that. So that it wasn't particularly new, but I think it's more like the sheer volume of yeah. people and the fact that it's the thing that everyone's scared about and the thing that's for a reason um, and the thing that's, you know, killing all these people worldwide. The fact that it's that. Yeah. I can imagine I it's quite scary. <laughs> yeah, what? Like now it's not, but I mean, sometimes I don't know. You get used to things very quickly. I think. Yeah. Um, that like desensitising, isn't it? But again, I think that's like a coping mechanism. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. But you know, you said like a patient that. What did you say, Kate? Yeah, like a patient <laughs> that might have particularly stuck with you or like a story or something, you know, yeah. One thing that um, kind of stuck with me, I remember when we, because, you know, people refer to us, that's how we see people, we get referrals. We have this database that does it. And I started seeing referrals for people that have come from ITU. We do see people in ITU, but I saw referrals that were coming from people that have been in ITU and they've been stepped down to the wards. They didn't need ITU anymore. That's so it kind that of, intensive, intensive care. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they didn't need that support anymore. They're on a normal ward with kind of normal support. Um, and they were ready to have a swallow assessment. And that was really nice to see them come through. Because you're kind of seeing our oh, people are getting better. Um, so it's like a glimmer of hope, really. That was really nice to see. I was going to say, have you have you seen a difference? For example, um, have you had many patients? So I remember at the beginning of the pandem pandemic, there was a real issue, wasn't there, with a like, care home outbreak and older kind of vulnerable people. Mm. So did you have to deal with many people who had, say, dementia and then you're going in like in the gear? Yeah, or, they how really scared. Yeah. Like, how did you deal with that? Was it was it you just you just trying to kind of like laugh through it and be like, it's all right. God. It's like. Yeah, it's really hard because, yeah, one patient put their blanket over there died from me at one point. Oh. That was really sad. I think you just kind of have to make an extra effort to try and um, build a relationship with them. So 
I mean, I I do this anyway, but I always hold people's hands and like, hello, you know, I'm Megan, blah, blah, blah. But I just make a bit of an extra effort to try and use other ways to kind of let them know I'm there to help and be nice, not anything to be scared of. Um, mm. And also, I think they probably get used to it, you know. Because mm. everyone's kind of there, isn't it? Yeah. So they're probably quite shocked initially, but then they probably get used to it um but yeah it's not nice because it's you know for these patients coming in it's not nice to not be in their own environment anyway and then you've got all these people wearing silly things it must be very yeah. scary mm. yeah absolutely mm. I was also going to say oh sorry I think to need, oh, I was going to go but I was just going to say because obviously we've had the announcement this week for the roadmap um so I just wondered like your thoughts on that you know how because obviously there's lots of excitement, you know, you're all online now. It's like 21st of June, I'm going to be in the park, mm. like all of this. For you, obviously working still day in, day out in the environment, does that still seem like a long way off? Are you kind of surprised at people's reactions? Or do you, do you see what I mean? Did that kind of also give you hope? Or was it a bit like, I almost can't process that right now because we're still, for you, like in the middle of it? It gave me like a tiny bit of hope, but then at the same time, I'm not going to hold my breath only because things can change so quickly and so kind of unexpectedly. Um, like you just don't know what's going to happen with these new variants and vaccines and things. You just don't want to be a Debbie down, but you just don't know, do you? And mm -hmm. so many things have happened that have been unexpected. Like before Christmas, you know, I think was Boris hoping Easter would be out of Easter. restrictions or something or I remember he said something like weddings would happen in Easter or something. And yeah. obviously then, boom, the new variants come. So I just think you can't kind of pin all your hopes on it. I think it would be great. I think one thing that I worry about, because, you know, this whole time I've been very anxious about kind of giving my family COVID and like giving yeah. people that I know COVID. So I'm very, very cautious. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of worries me in a bit because I'm just kind of like, well, even if, the restrictions are lifted am I gonna do that like am I gonna be normal again because I'm gonna still be worried about that I think even if like my whole family have had a jab I think I'll still be worried about that because I know it's not 100% mm. um obviously it like protects you to a very large extent but it's not you know it doesn't definitely mean you're never gonna get it um so I don't know yeah I don't know how I'm gonna be about that and I think I don't know it might take a bit of work really yeah do you think you've got other do you like talk to colleagues because obviously as like your friend like we we're all like in our chats and stuff like, ask like, how are you getting on and yeah. friends, Vicky who's a nurse but it's not the same we don't work in that environment so do you mm. like colleagues talk about it? do you know if anyone else has kind of got the same concern? oh yeah. yeah everyone yeah everyone we talk about it all the time I think because like for the last year they're the only people I've been seeing, really, and obviously Sam as well. But they're the only people I've kind of been seeing, and I think it's brought us all a lot closer together as a team. So we are, we do have very kind of open and frank conversations. Yeah, I think everyone feels really similarly, really, because I know kind of last summer when you know you could go into people's houses and things, couldn't you? And I didn't do any of that. I didn't go into my mum and dad's house, like, because I'm just too anxious about it. Um, so yeah everyone's kind of in the same boat and it's affected everyone I, I know it has so. anyway but yeah. it's affected like, yeah you know, well it's particularly acute when you're there in the hospital yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and actually yeah. Katie and I were talking before about you know 
the, the the kind of roadmap and everything and the pressure that's being put on the vaccines and like yeah. the fact that it seems to be you know this roadmap is fine and we can you can go back to whatever normal is in june july or whatever but it's totally stringent on this like on the, these vaccines and yeah. you know, we were saying that we're our age group's probably the more likely to want to go out and see friends again and try and go back to this idea of normal but we're probably going to be the last to be vaccinated yeah there's just so much riding on it and so yeah. much i don't know i feel like we shouldn't lose obviously this is a personal opinion we shouldn't lose like the concern yeah yeah stringent anyway yeah even throughout the, the rollout i don't know I, just, but I think that's also why we still need to be people still need to kind of use the test track and trace system and the government again personal opinion government needs to really grip that because even when say a lot of people have had the vaccine you can still be a carrier so mm-hmm. it's something, that's and, the other thing isn't it yeah yeah and it might you know it, it might be around for a while and it might be that in winters we have to bring back kind of mask wearing and those so i think Whilst a bit like you said, May, like whilst the roadmap gives a bit of hope, we also need to be really conscious and not lose sight of reality and kind of yeah, a bit of perspective. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Definitely. from your point of view, and you don't necessarily have to like answer it, but do you think um, there's been a difference? Do you think you're, I don't know if you notice a difference with how people are reacting now compared to at the beginning or if there's any concerns you have or whether, yeah. Like public perception. I don't know, really, because I've not seen anyone. Do you know, yes, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't know. Um, it's so true. <laughs> are you allowed to have? Um, are people allowed to come into the hospital now? So are people allowed to have visits? So if you if they're recovering from COVID and they don't have it anymore, no, still no. So visiting's allowed in exceptional circumstances. So um, unfortunately, like if someone's approaching the end of their life obviously they're allowed visitors or um there's some of the circumstances so say um there's an adult who has learning disabilities mm-hmm. and they usually have um key carers they can come in to support them because obviously they need that support um that's kind of it really mm-hmm. exceptional circumstances yeah so hard yeah. it's really yeah it's really really uh you can't even imagine, can you? Like your no. family member being unwell, you can't go in and see them. Like it's just awful. Um, it's awful for the patients, awful for the patients and their family. It's terrible. It's so sad to see. Mm. Um, yeah. And I remember actually the day before it came into play. So it must have been like last March. It must have been. And like Pete, you know, it was people crying. Like family members, patients were all crying saying goodbye to each other it was awful it was so traumatic to see yeah the whole Terrible. thing's so horrifying yeah right in the middle of it mm. yeah me. and that's the thing those are the things that kind of sit with you that you don't necessarily mm. forget about no no i do hope there's lots of i mean i'm sure there is to an extent now but i do hope there's lots of kind of counseling services and support on offer for you know nhs staff and other key workers after because mm. yeah I think there is but then how much is available like it's always yeah. I think it's probably going to be a resource issue isn't it but mm. to be fair I have um I've heard about a few things there's like phone lines you can call um and other like you know um what's the app Kate you've got oh headspace yeah I, I said that one is it well that was free that's free basically at the moment for NHS workers and 
there's um I actually went on a training course, a psychological first aid training course, um to be able to like do that for people. Um like a mental health available first aid stuff. type stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like um it's meant for kind of when there's a um what's the word like a big incident. So a lot of the examples were like, you know, all the fires in Australia like instance like that people go and provide like psychological support and things oh, wow. um, so there is stuff out there but then I guess it's when people are ready to access it yeah. like people how might long, not be ready yeah, yet yeah how mm. long they keep it available because mm. mm. that's the yeah. thing right that's what Adam Kay always said like in his books was that the NHS is like woefully underfunded yes like trying to get and and this is linked to kind of like the length of time these services will be available mm. after it's not mm. just like end of 2021 oh we're all mm. good now with like mm. people have PTSD right from yeah, working, yeah. being right in the heart of it so mm. I don't know I I take and that's kind of linked to something that we were going to ask is that if you could have like a, an audience with Boris or with like Matt Hancock what would you say to them <laughs> would you say oh, anything God. um I think I just kind of say a few things that I wouldn't share no I'm joking I think <laughs> I'd say like just please don't forget yeah. kind of what every yeah. NHS worker and the NHS as a whole has kind of done during this time um and please just fund it appropriately in the future um give everyone a pay rise <laughs> yeah I yeah. mean yeah please can have a pay rise everyone you know I don't how can they get away with giving themselves a pay rise and not the NHS staff during a pandemic yeah I just can't I just can't the other thing I was actually going to ask you is there anyone mm. else so obviously we're talking to you today because you're in a role that you, if you was to say to someone I'm a speech and language therapist they wouldn't assume unless they're knowledgeable about it that you've been on the front line mm. is there anyone else like kind of job wise that you work with on a daily basis that you think people would have no idea that they are involved because people just think doctor nurse um you know that kind of thing is there any like you know I always think about the cleaners that work in the hospital I think about the cleaners Kate because they go in and every patient with Covid they go and clean their room every day um you know and they don't have a you know they wear the PPE but you know no one knows they do that well obviously they know they clean but no one would think oh they go and see every covid patient and you know clean their room so i think about them actually okay all the time um and they work so hard um and then you have to do like special cleaning as well if someone's got an infection so you have to like really go for it um so yeah i think about them i guess everyone really um you know like a lot of people don't know that physios um have a big role in respiratory and chest management so no, I didn't know that we call actually. yeah so they do all the mobility stuff and then they do chest physio so they help people um I'm going to explain it really badly but say if you've got a really bad chest infection you've got covid you've got a lot of secretions in your chest and a lot of patients have trouble coughing them out and getting them out Um, because their cough might not be very good or they're not very alert that kind of thing so physio support with that so they might kind of suction them out they might suggest different kind of breathing and coughing techniques or use like machines to help people cough um so they do all of that and in ITU that's kind of like invaluable um and they help with all like the ventilator settings and all things like that and they're a big part of tracky weaning do you know what a tracky is I only know about that because of you, but I don't, yeah. 
explain. Some people have it kind of after they've been intubated, um, and it's like a hole here where you breathe from right. instead of yeah. through oh, there. Right. Yeah. Um, and it just it avoids the upper airway basically if you've got like issues up here. Um, so speech therapists and track um, physios are very involved in that. So that's a massive part that physios are involved in that people might not know. Um, it just shows, uh, doesn't it? Sorry, just quickly, but it just shows that like the huge web of people that have had to be yeah, involved. It's, it is everyone. It's And everyone has their role to play. Um, like OTs look at, you know, making sure people can do their at normal activities as best as they can, like how they could before. And they're really helpful in kind of getting people home safely. Um and then, of course, there's all these people involved. Dietitians. Say dietitians. Mm. So, like, um, obviously, if you're intubated, you can't eat and drink because um, you're sedated. So everyone kind of has a tube and dietitians prescribe that tube. And when people are eating and drinking again, they make sure they're kind of eating and drinking enough because you might be really tired. So you struggle at mealtimes. They prescribe like, supplements and things. Um, I'm trying to think, like, other people. Everyone capes yeah it's like it's it's a mind you just would never ever think yeah yeah and what i was going to say as well because there's also lots of people struggling with long covid so mm. there's all these supports that will then when they become outpatients is that the right term yeah yeah uh, yeah there we go i do listen um so when they're like in the community there's all the support that then continues and then there'll be lots of people who've been going into the homes to support so yeah. How do you feel about having your first vaccine? Because you've had your first vaccine, haven't you? I've had my second now. Oh, had second as yeah, well. Second Amazing. My arm really hurts. <laughs> yeah, I feel good about it. It's nice because it just kind of lessens that anxiety um, about it and getting it and giving it to people. It just makes that a lot less. Um, so I feel good about it. Yeah. I was going to say just like on, a, on a final question yeah yeah do you think this has made you kind of want to continue what you're doing or do you think after this you're like you know what I might have a little career change um well I am changing jobs as you know um I'm going into probably a role that has less respiratory um and gem med involvement um but obviously you can't escape COVID really at the moment. Um, but yeah. I have changed jobs and I don't really know. Is that partly COVID? Potentially it might have a role, but then I just kind of want to change clinically anyway. Yeah. Um, so you're staying in the NHS? Yeah. Always. And staying in a hospital, but doing a little bit more outpatients. But um going into brain injury and neurology a little bit more so it will be a bit less um respiratory and covid i, I don't know really well, it's not that, sustainable it's more, yeah i can say more sustainable to kind of do this type of work mm, yeah. mm. um but then it's not happening forever hopefully <laughs> so yeah do you have many colleagues? Like, I'm not even just necessarily talking about um, other speech and language, but other people who are just like, do you know what? I, I actually don't know if I can emotionally do this anymore. Yeah, I've heard kind of a few people say, you know, when this is done. I'm and that's the thing, isn't it? Bless you all feel that you have to like finish the job first. And this yeah. is. 
but it is our job you know it is what we do it's what we pay to do um so we will but yeah I think I've heard a lot of people kind of say when it's done I'm going to consider this um and to be honest with you like at the start like last you know like probably last spring and things I was just like I just need to do something else like I need to quit I need to do something else but there were no jobs so I couldn't really <laughs> yeah, just... I had to kind of stick it out and I'm glad I did because you know I do actually enjoy my job um but it, yeah it did make me question it to be fair just because it's so challenging and so kind of anxiety yeah. provoking really you just kind of think do I need this um, well, but... we're very grateful. Oh, grateful thank you. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> from from the nation to you, we are genuinely oh, very grateful. Thanks, thank both. That was great to hear from Meg. Really interesting discussion. It was particularly poignant when she said that she had uh, she would ask the government not to forget about us and not to forget about those on the front line and who have kind of given up so much time and so much mental capacity to, you know, making sure we're all okay and kind of protecting us throughout COVID throughout the last year. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and I thought it was just fascinating so I think this is why this episode is so important because it's highlighting people that have been on the front line that we don't think of and I just had zero idea how heavily involved like a physio would be and obviously you do think about cleaners working around the hospitals but I didn't silly I stupid really but I didn't think about the fact when she mentioned you know that you have cleaners who don't necessarily have the same level as level of PPE as some of the medical staff but they still have to go in and clean the rooms of people with COVID and that must be really mm. anxiety inducing especially towards the beginning when you don't really know what was going on have much answers have much answers have many answers to the questions about the disease um yeah, so yeah just really poignant yeah absolutely and actually what's really interesting is that tomorrow we're going to com- carry on the episode and we're actually going to bring you part two where we have a completely different perspective um, from someone who works in the NHS, but she works on the corporate side of things. Um, but due to COVID, she's been redeployed back in and is now has found herself working um, with COVID patients or with NHS staff. And she's, you know, doing something that's quite different from her, her normal job. So it's really, it's going to be really interesting to see those two kind of perspectives come together. Yeah. So do us a favour as we would say, and come (laughs) back tomorrow to hear from Lauren, our second NHS unsung hero.